It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Thank you, Charlie, and thank you for the kind words and the kind welcome as I try here to fill in for Kevin Cirilli, who's on a much-needed vacation. But of course, it's so busy in Washington, D.C., we need him to come back rested and ready. And as I mentioned later, we're going to be talking to Governor Ed Rendell and hearing a really interesting interview that Bloomberg's David Weston did with Representative Jim Clyburn. But want to focus at first on this very busy day of the Biden administration, just about 24 hours in now. And we have a terrific political panel to walk us through this. Um, as we uh, know, yesterday, uh, President Biden, on his first afternoon, signed 17 executive orders. And just this afternoon, he rolled out what he described as a full-scale wartime effort to combat the coronavirus. Before signing the executive orders, um, all of which are focused today on the pandemic, he took a step that I want to ask uh, Rick and Kevin about to try to reset expectations. He said that the administration had inherited a vaccination system that is not functioning. He described it at one point as a dismal failure. And he said things are going to get worse before they get better. And he actually said we might see a death toll reaching about 500,000. He also said, as bleak as things look, help is on the way. And I think we have some sound on that. We didn't get into this mess overnight. It's going to take months for us to turn things around. But let me be equally clear. We will get through this. We will defeat this pandemic. And so that was President Biden speaking today before he signed a real, uh, you know, a bevy, another bevy of, of EOs, of executive orders focused on the pandemic, expanding testing, accelerating the vaccinations, reopening schools across the country, and stopping the spread via masks. So to talk about all of this, I want to bring in my colleague and friend, Rick Davis. He's a Bloomberg contributor, a partner at Stone Court Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, and also the fabulous Kevin Walling, who is a Democratic strategist at HG Creative Media. And I, Kevin is very active, um, I notice, on Twitter as well. So I'm going to try to learn a thing or two from Kevin on that front because that's not my forte. But it's, it's great to have both of you here. And Rick, let me start with you. How do you put into perspective this first 24 hours of the new administration, which to me has been a bevy of activity so far? Yeah, Jeannie, thanks. And uh, you're doing great. I, I, I'm so excited to hear you giving all the <laughs> warm you, up. Rick. <laughs> you're, you're, you're always so kind to me. So I think it's, it's nice having you in the chair. Uh, yeah, I think this was pretty well forecast, right? We, uh, we, we heard from the Biden team that he was going to hit the ground running. Uh, they certainly demonstrated that yesterday with that array of executive orders that you described and proclamations. And, and a lot of it had to do with COVID, but not all of it. Uh, he took some stances on uh, everything from uh, 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 
the climate, to the economy, to uh, equality. Uh, but today was seemingly COVID day. And uh, the things he did today were really practical, right? He put things into motion uh, that would uh, start to affect people's lives. He opened up more government support for the supply chain for COVID supplies, uh, whether it's you know, needles or PPE or actually the all-important vaccine, uh, things like that that would actually hit the ground running. The, the idea that, that the, the, the administration, the new administration would look under the hood and find problems with the COVID distribution system was already pretty well known with the medical community around the country and most governors and mayors because they're the ones who have actually had to deal with you know, this kind of situation. So uh, it sounds very positive. I think it's great to hear a president talking directly to the American people about the challenges and not just saying, don't worry about it, go get a suntan. So I think the, the, the first 24 hours is enlightening, uh, a little scary considering um, that we might be so far behind, but uh, you got to have some confidence that they're taking it seriously over at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, and, and of course, the president came out this afternoon, and, and Kevin, want to bring you in here and just as, as to follow up on what Rick said, uh, play a little bit of sound from President Biden talking about the fact that all interstate travelers and visitors from overseas will now face these new guidelines, um, masks and testing. So let's hear a little bit about what he had to say and then bring Kevin in. Everyone flying to the United States from another country will need to test before they get on that plane, before they depart, and quarantine when they arrive in America. So, Kevin, what is your take, um, you know, to get your take um, for about the first 24 hours and what you heard today in particular in the focus on the pandemic from the president? Yeah, Jeannie, it's so good to be with you. Uh, I always love joining uh, you and to echo Rick's comments from earlier. Uh, It's going to be a really fun conversation, I think, today. You know, uh, Rick is absolutely right. I mean, you're seeing the incoming Biden administration, 30 hours on the job, uh, hitting the ground running. We've already had two White House press conferences briefed by the press secretary, taking questions, uh, not dodging questions, as we saw in the last couple of months and years of of the Trump administration. I think, to Rick's point, uh, you know, the Biden administration is moving forward with full transparency. That's going to give them cover. Um, and it's going to get to a point, though, I think, uh, fairly early on where we can't just continue to blame the Trump administration in these last four years. Uh, and what you're seeing is a President Biden uh, who I think wants to level with the American people. I mean, uh, you know, his key focus today with uh, some of these covid related executive orders is all around the vaccine. Uh, we, you know, you've got Dr. Walensky, who's the brand new CDC director. Uh, again, 30 hours on the job uh, that's inheriting, as the Biden administration has said, a bit of a mess. You know, the fact that, you know, we have a goal of 100 million shots into arms, as the, the president talked about today. Uh, but, you know, we've only seen 16 million or so uh, dr- uh, uh, vaccines administered uh, out of over 30 million doses uh, that are out there. So there's got to be some greater accountability and emphasis on supply chain management. Who's really in charge? Who's really interacting with these states and the state uh, health directors? Um, again, it's a fresh breath of air, but again, uh, the Biden administration right out of the gate is really focused on their number one priority, which is COVID. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the the numbers yesterday, we were celebrating, obviously, the inauguration, but it was a a, a horrible, uh, also historic point of a record 4,409 people in the United States died yesterday. And the death toll uh, is obviously traumatic. And you also have it. We also have an enormous economic toll as well 
with last week more than 900,000 Americans applying for unemployment. And Rick, Kevin just mentioned the new press secretary, White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, who, um, when we got on the air, was in the midst of a doing a, a press briefing with Dr. Anthony Fauci. I think she's the 34th press secretary in American history. Um, what is your take on how they are communicating so far and sort of the contrast between what we've seen over the last four years from the Trump administration? Well, just as uh, as as Kevin said, the fact that we had a press conference last night on the first afternoon of the Biden administration was pretty extraordinary, right? I mean, they had to be pretty buttoned up after a full day of inaugural activities to have you know, the ability to put on a press conference. And, and, and it was it was pretty direct. And, and and I didn't feel like I was getting spun, you know, and and, and what, that's a great start. And so the fact that they're going to continue this, uh, I think Joe Biden has made it totally clear that the American people have to be partners in this effort to combat coronavirus, right? We have to wear masks. We have to social distance. We have to do the things that are necessary to stop the spread in order to stop the death. And and even that moment of silence in his inauguration was a recognition that we're taking this seriously and that we can't allow people who should not be killed by this virus to suffer any longer than they have to. I, I think it's a great ethic within the administration right now. They haven't done anything wrong yet, so uh, you never know how a press secretary is going to react until they actually have a bad day, uh, and most of it's not because of anything they've done. And we're going to see that coming up, but uh, right now, smooth sailing. And and Kevin, how, how are you seeing things in terms of the communication aspect of this out of the White House? I mean, it's so early, as, as both you and Rick mentioned, but what is your assessment of how they're doing so far? Yeah, you know, I completely agree with Rick in terms of what he said. And, and I think one of the interesting things that we saw out today uh, was a tweet from the press secretary, Jen Psaki, clarifying a point and, and actually, you know, uh, assuming a little bit of the blame that she was not clear uh, with regards to FBI Director Christopher Wray and his tenure uh, at the head of the FBI. And she had to put out a clarifying tweet. You know, that's something that, you know, I think previous press secretaries may have, you know, blamed the press for it or, or kind of sp- spun it out. And she she took, you know, some semblance of blame that she wasn't clear. Um, and that's a critical component of our national security, of course. So I think, you know, you're going to see a lot more humility. You know, I really picked up on what uh, Tony Blinken, the uh, secretary designate of, of, of state, uh, said in his opening remarks before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on Tuesday, where he said, you know, the, the flip side of the American leadership coin, uh, leadership and humidity, uh, uh, humility, rather. Um, and, and I think you're seeing a, a White House that is humble knowing what they're getting into, being fully transparent. And, and again, that stems exactly from that White House comm shop. Yeah, and it's fascinating to hear you talking about the, the tweeting. And I, I mentioned that you, you you have a very robust Twitter page yourself. And um, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how this administration uses Twitter and relies on it. And so even early in these first early days, they've started to do that. But we've sort of all been accustomed to the past president, um, the last president, and his use of it, which obviously ended. So it's interesting to see how they will use it. Um, We are coming up on a a break, but when we come back, we want to talk a little bit about things that are a little bit challenging over on the other side of Washington and Capitol Hill. Um, It's Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work 
passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. And I am Jeannie Shanzano, uh, really happy to be here filling in for the great Kevin Cirilli and uh, joined by the equally wonderful Rick Davis and Kevin Walling. And we were just talking before the break a little bit about what's been going on in the White House in their first 24 hours, and we wanted to move it to Capitol Hill Obviously, one of the big things on the the agenda at this point is impeachment and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi came out today and she declined to give a specific timeline to reporters at a news conference about when we might see this uh, this delivery of the uh, of the impeachment to the Senate. And so we are still waiting on that. And I think we have some sound from Nancy Pelosi on that. We had to wait for the president, the Senate to be in session. They've now informed us they're ready to receive. The question is, other questions about how a trial will proceed, uh, but we are, we are ready. And so, Rick, what is going on here? Why is this taking so long to get this over to the Senate so they can begin this thing? Well, I think a little bit of what she said is true, which is that she wanted the Senate to be in the hands of Chuck Schumer, not uh, Mitch McConnell. Uh, They had a lot of administrative stuff they had to get done uh, over in the Senate side because of the transfer of power. And and I'm sure they've signaled Schumer's like, okay, I can take it. But I imagine they want to get a little running start getting their side organized in the Senate before they actually have to take up uh, the the formality of the passage of this articles of impeachment over to the Senate. So I'm sure there's conversations on the phone between Schumer and Pelosi saying, hey, look, give me a couple more days to get organized here. You know, I've just taken over the leader's job and we'll get going on this right away. But they also have to manage the fact that Biden wants his appointees. Uh, We've been talking about all these people like uh, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Treasury who haven't been confirmed yet. And if I'm Biden, I'm in that conversation saying, wait a minute, just get my confirmation done before you start this impeachment stuff. And Rick mentioned uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, uh, the new majority leader. And let's hear a little bit of what he had to say uh, today uh, about the impeachment and the timing of this trial. Speaker Pelosi will determine when she will send the articles over. Uh, Leader McConnell and I are trying to come up with a bipartisan agreement on how to conduct the trial. But make no mistake about it, there will be a trial. So, so Kevin, um, we hear from Chuck Schumer and, and, and Speaker Pelosi. Um, what is your thoughts in terms of how this is going to roll out in the next few days or week, if you will? 
Kevin, do we have you there? I think he's me? been impeached. <laughs> oh, no. Can you hear me now? Jeez. Now we can hear you. Yes, that we can okay. hear you. I was just, I was just going to say, you know, I completely agree with Rick. You know, it's funny to hear the now new majority leader say that it's Speaker Pelosi's timeline. It's really, you know, uh, Leader Schumer is in the driver's seat in terms of not only negotiating with now uh, Minority Leader McConnell, uh, but really setting up, you know, his the, the rules that will govern this. And I, and I think Rick makes an excellent point, too, in terms of what the Biden administration is looking for early on from the United States Senate. And it's his, his confirmation. The fact that, you know, this incoming administration is the first one in modern history to not have a single cabinet member, uh, you know, uh, voted on before getting into office. You know, Trump had two. Obama had six. Um, you know, I, I think it's pretty telling in terms of where the Senate is out. And, of course, you know, this is un, unprecedented. And we use that term all the time. The fact that two Senate seats were decided after this Congress took shape, you know, on, on January 5th when they'd been sworn in on January 3rd. So I think there's a lot of dynamics at play that are still going on. But Leader Schumer is definitely on the, in the driver's seat when it comes to these negotiations of, of the impeachment uh, yeah, timeline. And this, this point, Kevin, you're making about um, – getting these things done in a timely fashion, uh, and, and this not being a timely fashion, all harkens back to the fact that, that Donald Trump refused to have a transition, right? If, in his mind, he didn't even lose the election, so why have a transition? Everybody was warning that the, the new administration was going to get backed up if they didn't start this transition earlier. Uh, the Senate at that time, controlled by Republicans, took his lead and said, no, we're not going to hold hearings, we're not going to do meetings even. And so the fact is... That, that you do run the risk uh, that this administration isn't in place soon enough to take advantage of some of these things. I think the fact that Biden is focused on something he can do right away, which is attack this COVID problem is great. But you got Russia and China breathing down our necks. Even Mitch McConnell talked about them today. Well, then why don't you put his secretary of state and secretary of defense in their jobs right away so that they can deal with those countries? And just to pick up on that point, exactly right, Rick. I mean, you, you saw a secretary designate, uh, Tony Blinken, saying that China is our chief competitor. I mean, this is something that's going to animate and unite, I think, Republicans and Democrats, this China issue. And it's not just on COVID. It's not just on trade. It's also on the Muslim uh, Uyghur issue. It's, it's a whole host of issues, um, you know, across the world stage. And, and that can be the most critical thing that can be done right now is getting those appointments through, especially at state. And, and we haven't seen uh, as many as we saw in the last two administrations at this point. Um, they're they're moving. Of course, they've had a reason. We had three new senators um, in the last uh, 24 hours. Um, so that that in part explains that. So we are going to be taking a quick break. And then coming up, we're going to be talking to one of my favorite people, the former Pennsylvania governor, Ed Rendell. And I'm really thrilled to be filling in for Kevin Cirilli. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. Joined here by uh, my 
fellow Bloomberg contributor, Rick Davis. And Rick, before the break, we um, were talking a little bit about what's been going on on Capitol Hill in the context of this pending impeachment trial. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about what we've been hearing in other capacities on Capitol Hill today as well, namely a lot of talk about trying to get some of Biden's cabinet appointments through. And in the context of that, also some talk about the the new president's executive orders that have been really pulling back from some of what Donald Trump had done. Um, so today we heard a little bit from Mitch McConnell, uh, and he had some stuff to say about the Keystone Pipeline. I think we have sound on that. The day one priority was to kill thousands of American jobs, including union jobs, disappoint our strong ally Canada, and reverse some of our progress toward energy security. So, so Rick, um, before we go to Governor Rendell, and I'm, I'm so excited to talk to him, just briefly in terms of, you know, your, your knowledge, uh, intimate knowledge of the Republican Party, um, is this a signal as to what's to come? Yeah, maybe the honeymoon's going to end quick. Uh, <laughs> you know, look, I mean, Mitch McConnell's been very generous. He's spoken out about uh, how he thinks that uh, uh, Donald Trump did a lot of bad things related to the December or the January 6th attack on the Capitol, uh, made Democrats happy. He talked about bipartisanship in advance of the inaugural, made Democrats happy. And now today he's talking about, you know, losing jobs because of the Keystone Pipeline uh, executive order, talking about caving to Russia and China because of signing up with the Paris Accords. And you know, that that nasty word uh, uh, related to immigration reform, uh, amnesty got talked about for the first time in a while. So uh, I think we're going to see a more engaged Mitch McConnell is a minority leader than he's been in the last week. But uh, so far, the early salvo seems to be in keeping with uh, the action that he used to play off of when he was majority leader. And Rick, let's, um, we have a great guest. So to pick up on what you were talking about, I'd love to bring in the former governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, special counsel at Ballard Spar, if I'm saying that right, LLP, and uh, Governor Rendell, it's really, really great to talk to you. And I'll tell you on the bio they gave me, you are described as the legendary Pennsylvania governor. So it's great to talk to you. That means I'm old. <laughs> Not at all. It means you're legendary. <laughs> Governor, you've earned it. Just go with it. <laughs> you have. And, you know, we were just talking a little bit um, about we wanted to get your take on some of what we've been hearing in this first 24 hours of the Biden administration. But just what Rick was talking about in terms of the inklings we're hearing, if you can call them that, from Mitch McConnell, um, talking about the Keystone Pipeline and these few these executive orders that the president signed early on as job killers is this uh, some of what we're going to be hearing in the next couple of weeks and months well look i think we all have to understand what what does bipartisanship mean <clears throat> it doesn't mean that everyone agrees on everything it couldn't that's not the way our political system works our political system works best when there are two sides that often take positions that are contrary to each other, and they both put their arguments in front of the American people, and the American people let our elected representatives know which way they want to go. Uh, it doesn't mean that we agree on everything. Look, uh, there are things that I think the Biden administration can get past fairly early that will help the country, and that will be the product of bipartisanship. 
Those are things like significant reductions in prescription drug prices in the United States, a $15 minimum wage. As you know, Florida had a referendum on Election Day uh, on a $15 minimum wage, and 61% of the people in Florida voted for a $15 minimum wage, even though Donald Trump carried the state by six points. The American people want a $15 minimum wage, a robust infrastructure bill that spends significant dollars creating jobs, creating orders for American manufacturing, and doing things that are necessary to make us economically competitive and structurally safe as a country. Those are things I think we can do. A COVID relief bill that does give Americans the the necessities, uh, the ability to to keep uh, purchasing the necessities of life, that does put the right amount of money into the budget for vaccine distribution, quick and effective vaccine distribution. So there are many things that I think we can all agree on, and those are the things that are going to get done, hopefully, with a bipartisan approach. Will every bill get bipartisan approaches? No, not at all. That never is the case in any government. But will there be reflex reaction because you guys are proposing it, it's bad? No, I don't think so. I I think issues like the Keystone Pipeline have been debated for over a decade. So those positions are pretty fixed. But on new stuff that's important and needed, I think we can get some degree of bipartisanship and get some things done. Hey, Governor, this is Rick Davis. Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, I consider you a legendary uh, individual, not just governor. But uh, John McCain thought of you as one of his favorite Democrats because you feel exactly that way, right? That we don't care if we fight like dogs during the day, but let's go get a cocktail at night and make sure that the country's business keeps going. We don't have to make everything personal. And and I think that is, is one of the things I'm hopeful that Joe Biden brings back to the table, right? I mean, I remember fights between John McCain and Joe Biden, but they were best friends. And so uh, you've been a longtime friend of Joe Biden's. You've known him since the first day probably he was in politics and uh, 50 years ago, sorry to date you. And, uh, and, and I was wondering, what are the things that he needs to do to try and get us back to that point? Because obviously that unlocks a lot of this legislative activity that you're talking about. Is he going to start hosting Republicans for dinner at the White House? Is he going to spend a little time on Capitol Hill himself? I mean, what's his style like? I think that it will be exactly his style. It's not so much dinners at the White House or whatever. It's communicating. It's picking up the phone and calling a Republican senator, not necessarily going through Mitch McConnell, but calling a Republican senator and saying, Senator, I'd like to get this infrastructure bill passed and passed quickly because we need it for our economy. But I understand you have a program you want to get included in the bill, and nobody's giving you a fair hearing. Come up tomorrow morning and talk to me about it. And even if after the senator comes up and talks to President Biden about it, even if they can't fit it in or there are reasons not to run it, that senator will appreciate the fact that he got his chance. But more than often, you can... Take some proposals from the other side. And, and Governor, and put them we, into legislation. And we are so happy to be able to talk to you. We're going to have you hang over this little break. And I'm Jeannie Shanzano. We'll be right back on Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. And thank you so much, Charlie. I'm Jeannie Shanzano in for Kevin Cirilli. I'm here with Rick Davis, and we were talking with and are still talking with the great legendary governor of Pennsylvania, former governor of Pennsylvania, Ed Rendell. And Governor Rendell, I wanted to ask you, pick up on what Rick was talking to you about, your relationship with President Biden. In your history with him, what are his political priorities and how do they line up with the political party, the Democratic Party today, which seems to have moved a bit, at least in terms of energy, to the left? Well, yeah, there's energy on the left, just like there's energy on the, in the Tea Party and the Republican side. Um, there are true believers and people who really believe their way is the right way to achieve progress. And so they believe in it, and that generates energy. But they're not the majority of the Democratic Party any more than the Tea Party is the majority of the Republican Party. But the progressives, I think Joe Biden is very progressive on a lot of issues. I mean, he's for the $15 minimum wage, no ifs, ands, and buts about it. He's for having every American covered by health care, have access to quality health care. Now, he's not for Medicare for all. But he's for the same goal. And I think we should be goal-oriented, we as Democrats, we as Americans. If the goal is to get every American covered by some form of safe, quality health care, then whoever can come up with a workable plan, we should support that plan if it achieves the goals that we all share. And that's the message that I would give to progressives. And I would give a message to my moderate friends and I'm generally more of a moderate than a progressive, but to my moderate friends, is the progressives sometimes are, are right, and sometimes their boldness is needed. There were progressives advocating for the $15 minimum wage a year and a half ago, and most moderates said that's too much, it's too fast, it'll hurt business, etc. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit. And who were the people out there risking their lives to keep the rest of us in food and and in things that we require. Well, they were the grocery clerks. They were short-order cooks. They were people who often didn't make anywhere close to $15 an hour. And as President Biden said in one of his commercials, if we call our workers essential workers, we should do more than just praise them. We should pay them. And the progressives are right. We should pay them, and we should pay them now. $15 an hour might cause some products to go up a little bit, in cost, but I think most Americans would be willing to shoulder a little increase in cost to get a fair living wage for people. 
Governor, I, I thought one of the big stories coming out of the Joe Biden uh, inaugural yesterday was from one of the big uh, progressives, Bernie Sanders. But it, but it wasn't a policy issue. It was those gloves he was wearing. I mean, it was a wardrobe <laughs> issue. It was a wardrobe <laughs> issue. I mean, those are the things you can't control. Hey, well, listen. You know what? I happen to disagree with Bernie on a lot of important issues. But, boy, I, I really like him. I think he's genuine. He's himself. And he's going to do what he wants to do and what he believes in, regardless of what people think. And he, he not only brought those gloves in that great parka, but he brought his own chair. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> well, some people, you know, they, 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 they want to make sure they're comfortable for a, a session like that. Probably a heated bottom. Hey, listen, one <laughs> quick thing, if we can have you just pontificate a little bit about the upcoming Pennsylvania uh, election cycle. You got a governor's race and a Senate race with uh, governor with Senator Toomey now announcing that he's not running for reelection. And everybody seems to be scrambling around. What do you think the Democrat chances are of picking up both? Well, I think we have a good chance because we've got good candidates. And in the end, candidates matter. Joe Biden, I think, was the only Democrat who would have beaten Donald Trump. Because he was such a genuine guy and because a lot of working class Democrats who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 switched back and voted for Joe Biden. And I think we have good candidates. We have Josh Shapiro, our attorney general, who covered himself with glory by his conduct during the 2020 election cycle. We have Joe Torcello, who was our state treasurer and a brilliant young guy who I think would make an excellent candidate. John Fetterman, our lieutenant governor certainly a colorful dynamic yeah, we just had john on the uh, show a, a, a little while ago and it, we were trying to pin him down whether he was running for governor or senate tough to say uh we've got uh, chrissy houlihan uh, one of our congresswomen from the southeast of pennsylvania area who's a dynamic congresswoman and a, and a great candidate great great potential candidate fal arkush who's the head of the Montgomery County Commissioners and did a great job and is doing a great job during the pandemic. So, so you, you don't lack a field of candidates. candidates. We have a wealth of good candidates. There aren't anyone who's really surfaced as a standout on the Republican side, but that remains to be seen. And so, Governor, we are so honored to talk to you. And um, I think next time Rick is going to bring in some of those mittens for you. And that'll be that'll be your gift. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Rick? We're we're all going to be sporting those for a while, I think. We will. It's such an honor to talk to you. We really appreciate your time and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, the one message I think the media and public have to bring to Washington is we want to get things done. We want an infrastructure bill that repairs this nation's infrastructure, puts people to work in high-quality, good-paying jobs, and makes us more competitively internationally. And we can do these things. The one thing that Joe Biden says that no one can disagree with is that when Americans unify and put their minds to a task, we get it done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Governor, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And Rick, we want to bring back in here our good friend, Kevin Walling, who we want to get some final words from Kevin in terms of what he's hearing. Um, Kevin, you know, you have spent so much time on the Democratic side of the aisle, and we're just hearing from Governor Rendell. Do you agree with him in terms of his, say, view on the $15 minimum wage, which Republicans have been pushing back on, and the prospects of that passing this very narrow Senate? 
Yeah, it's a good question. It's good to be back. I loved, loved, loved hearing the conversation with Governor Rendell. Um, you know, uh, plans to include that $15 minimum wage, Jeannie, as you mentioned, were included in this $1.9 trillion uh, package. Uh, it, you know, indications are that it's likely to be uh, introduced towards the end of this month, early February, uh, likely to pass in the House before it goes over to the Senate. Um, and it will be a real test because there are aspects of that bill that can get passed with a 50-vote margin plus Vice President Harris in terms of what is called budget reconciliation. And then there's aspects of it, like that $15 minimum wage, that would need that 60-vote that threshold and would need to get some Republicans on board. You know, I thought it was encouraging that, you know, we saw some early support for the larger stimulus checks from, you know, Senators Marco Rubio, even Josh Hawley indicating he wanted those checks a little larger. So there's something for everyone in that $1.9 trillion package, including the progressive left flank of my party that's pushing for $15 minimum wage. It's just a question if if it's too much for some Republicans and even some Democrats on my side that think that it's becoming too conciliatory towards Republicans. Yeah, I assume some of the pushback is going to be, why aren't we winning on our level, uh, Kevin, for the Democratic caucus? Uh, I'm kind of curious. We were talking to Governor Rendell a little bit about uh, Joe Biden's approach to Congress and the fact that he's got all these longstanding relationships and he's kind of a uh, a bipartisan figure in his own right. That's how he's conducted himself uh, throughout his tenure in the Senate. But uh, Kamala Harris, the new vice president, I mean, she had sharper elbows when she was in the United States Senate. And and she is that tying vote. I mean, she may spend as much time as a senator as she does as a vice president casting uh, <laughs> break even votes. How do you see her fitting into that that crowd in the Senate now? Yeah, Rick, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, I, I you know, I love stories and, and I hear more and more every day of your mentor, uh, John McCain, who is my hero, even as a progressive Democrat. Um, and and uh, and Joe that's Biden why we could never get him elected to anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Going back to John McCain's days as the Navy liaison and helping raise Bo and, and Hunter and yep. uh, just that great dynamic. And it's an interesting parallel to what we see with uh, Senator uh, Harris, now Vice President Harris. And you, you recall some of those really contentious Judiciary Committee hearings, especially around the Supreme Court, especially on um, gun control legislation where it did get heated. Um, but I, I think she represents kind of a newer crop of, of senators coming up. I, I thought this interesting statistic that the median age of Americans is 38 and the median age uh, of Congress is 68. She represents that younger generation, I think, that's, that's coming up that, that throws those elbows. But, but hopefully, you know, uh, what we don't see behind the scenes is some of that relationship building, I think, uh, that goes on in those long hours and things like that. She does have some key friends across the aisle that came in with her as freshmen uh, four years ago. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see how much time she's spending up there uh, or the threat of having her up there just to break those, those votes. And, and Kevin, you raise an excellent point. The, 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 you said, I think, the median age um, in terms of, of Democrats in Congress. Was that, was that the, the statistic? Across the board, Congress is 68. Congress Both is 68. Be- combined. Yeah. So there's a real disconnect from, you know, I think the to some degree, the rest of the population. And and then Democratic leadership, of course, is where we are finding some real tension because, of course, Democratic leadership is, is much older average age. Much older. I mean, you've got our three uh, House leaders uh, right around 80 in terms of Jim Clyburn. You had that great uh, talk with him before, um, you know, Senny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi. But there's also some excitement around Hakeem Jeffries and Catherine Clark and 
some of our younger leaders. We had our first millennial cabinet secretary go before the Senate Commerce Committee and Pete Buttigieg today. Um, so I, I hope there's some room. And of course, you know, you saw President Biden campaigning on being a transitional president and bringing in these younger leaders uh, into the fold. So, so hopefully he makes good on that. Uh, and we'll see that kind of dynamic play out in these next couple of weeks and months. Thank you so much, Kevin Walling. And to my dear friend, uh, Rick Davis, it's so great to talk to both of you. And I look forward to talking to both of you again soon. I'm Jeannie Shanzano. This is Sound On on Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.